on examination day, candidates should know that they'll see eight vignettes. And for each of those eight vignettes, they have five domains. So they have essentially 40 data points or eight times five. Um, and you can consider these 40 items as well. On top of that, you have two examiners in each of these sessions. So you can double these data points or double these items. So you have an 80 items in total. In your domain scores, it's more of a completeness of your response in each of the domains. So it's not just a check off, you did it or you didn't, right or wrong. It's more of an overall um, encompassing score of how you did on that domain. Welcome to the ABPMR part two examination podcast. If you're preparing to take the exam this year, listen in as ABPMR board directors, part two examiners, and other part two experts talk all things part two, including the structure of the exam, scoring, study tips, what to expect on exam day, and more. Hi everyone, welcome back to the part two podcast. My name is Lizzie. I'm the communications coordinator for the ABPMR. And today we're gonna to be talking about how scoring works for the part two exam. So today we're joined by a scoring expert, a statistics expert, a math expert, Michaela Raditz. And she is the director of psychometrics and research at the ABPMR. So she has all the insight for how the exam is scored. Dr. Raditz, how long have you been at the ABPMR? I have been at the ABPMR for nine years now. Awesome. And with part two, what is your role with part two and scoring for the exam? So I have a few different roles. Scoring is the main role for part two, uh, but I also help in developing the examination. So choosing the vignettes and, and vetting those through uh, the board. So they're reviewed many times before they're actually administered, which you can imagine. Um, making sure the entire examination process is valid and reliable. So we want the whole process from choosing the vignettes to ex examination day and releasing scores to be as smooth as possible and to be as straightforward as possible for the candidates. I do the scoring, as I mentioned, so that's kind of right after the examination happens. I also do post-examination analysis, which I'll probably touch on a little bit more later. Um, examiner training I'm involved in, that's also a big part of the examination process. I provide examiners with feedback so that they know how they performed on examination day. And then I also serve as sort of an emergency support role on examination day. Um, if anything happens with candidates losing connection or examiners, anything like that. So a, a few different hats I wear. You are definitely, I've seen you in action on the emergency role on exam day of just if there are any issues. So yeah, that is definitely an important role. And um, you are gonna have so much great insight for how the exam is a fair process and how scoring works. So thank you so much for being on today. Uh, happy to be here, thanks for having me. Yeah, so to start, if you were going to sum up how the process of scoring the exam works, how would you explain that to candidates? I think. It's difficult to explain an oral examination without actually going through each step of the process, but I think a comparison that I can make is to a written exam because that's a little bit more straightforward for candidates. Um, you have 100 questions, you're going to see 100 questions, you have to answer 100 questions. That's very straightforward and you sit down at your computer to take a written examination. For the oral examination, there's a little bit more that happens, um, I guess, behind the scenes and more interactions. So on examination day, candidates should know that they'll see eight vignettes and for each of those eight vignettes, they have five domains. So they have essentially 40 data points or eight times five. Um, and you can consider these 40 items as well. 
On top of that, you have two examiners in each of these sessions, so you can double these data points or double these items. So you have an 80 items in total. The difference between the oral exam and the written exam is that in the written exam, it's dichotomous. You get correct or incorrect. And that's not how the oral exam works. In your domain scores, it's more of a completeness of your response in each of the domains. So it's not just a check off. You did it or you didn't, right or wrong. It's more of an overall um, encompassing score of how you did on that domain. Um, the written exam also has a certain number of questions you need to answer correctly in order to pass, which again for the oral examination there's not counting up how many domains you did. Um, you do have to perform well in all of your domains um, in order to pass the examination, so it's not a right or wrong, it's a more global view of how you did on examination day. That's an amazing way of summing it up. And thank you for breaking down the math too, because unlike you, I do not have a PhD. So you just said that there's no correct number, unlike the written exam, there's no correct number of questions candidates have to get in order to pass the exam. So it is a little hard to explain since it's an oral examination, but what do candidates have to do to pass the exam? Sure. So it's a little bit less about coming with coming up with a solution and more about how you got to a solution. So if you think back to math class, if you go back to, um, you know, math in high school, where you might come up with the answer, but you didn't show your work, you'll be docked points. Um, that's not exactly a direct comparison to this examination, but examiners really are looking for you to explain how you got to the diagnosis. If you got the diagnosis right, that's amazing. But what else did you consider? And what else could it possibly be in your head? I'm sure when you're listening to a patient in real life, you don't just say this is what it is in an everyday situation. You might be thinking it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. So talk through that um, with your examiner. We also realize that you proved your knowledge in the part one examination. So that's if you're taking part two, you're you're done with that section. So the examiners really want to know about the application of that knowledge and not just the, you know, being able to answer a multiple choice question. It's so important that you mentioned too, um, again, the thought process. And I like how you said show your work because that is what we've discussed in past episodes. Examiners want to see how you arrive at your thought process. So as much as you can explain, that's more important than getting a certain number of questions right. So hopefully that helps relieve some stress, stress for candidates who maybe have number of questions in their head that they have to get correct. It's more focusing on your thought process. So what happens if a candidate feels like they did poorly on a certain domain? How does that affect their score for the rest of the exam? Sure. So poor performance on one domain doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of the examination is just done, um, that you missed out and, and you're going to fail for sure. Um, I think it's been mentioned in other podcasts that the domains are scored independently. So a common situation that I hear is that candidates are very nervous when they come in that very first vignette and on data acquisition, they might have some scattered thoughts and they didn't do as well as they, they thought they could have. Um, but that's okay. You know, you do not as well in one domain, you can come right back and the can or the examiners are trained to know that that's in the past, that score is done, we're moving on now. Um, so certainly you want to do well in all domains because each domain does contribute to the total score equally, but um, you're, you're going to be doing well on some domains and not as well in other domains just across the board. So just keep in mind that one domain isn't going to ruin your overall score. 
So important to mention, yeah, it doesn't need to be perfect throughout the entire exam. So hopefully that also helps relieve some stress for candidates. Is the exam graded on a curve? So the exam is not and never has been graded on a curve. I think this is something that a myth I would love to dispel um, for the rest of time because it will never be scored on a curve either. So candidates are evalu evaluated um, based on a criterion-based standard. So what this means is that even before examination day, the standard has already been set. And this is based on a level of knowledge. So a candidate can come in on, on their own on examination day. They might be the only one out of the 500 who applied and take the examination and will know if they passed or they failed and how they did based on their knowledge level. So I think that's important to know. Um, the other thing that this criterion reference standard means is that 100% of candidates could pass and 100% of candidates could fail. It's truly based on knowledge level. So it doesn't matter what any of your colleagues do or anyone who's taking the exam before or after you, it's truly based on your own level of knowledge. And how is that standard set? Is that based on past performance from past years or how do you get to that um, knowledge standard for each year? That's a great question. So the standard is actually the same every year. Um, we wanna make sure that it's fair for candidates that are taking it each year. We don't want them to walk in and let's say in 2019, maybe they weren't successful in the examination. We don't want there to be a higher or a lower standard when they come back and take it again. Um, or if you decide to take a year off and come back and take it, you know, that's the standard should always be the same. Of course, that's evaluated every so often because the uh, field of PM&R is constantly changing, field of medicine is constantly changing, so it does have to be reevaluated. But the um, standard is, um, it uses an industry-based process. So a group of subject matter experts review the vignettes and they review the process and they determine the, basically the minimal level of competency needed in order to pass the examination and that's where the knowledge level is set. Perfect, great to know. Another thing that was mentioned last week in the episode with Dr. Saberwal and Dr. Wen was examiner severity and how um, that is taken into account after the exam. So could you go into a little bit about that? I'm sure it's really complex, but just an overview of how that is adjusted after the exam. Sure. So I, I think that is a big candidate concern that they will come into the examination and they'll have four very severe, we call it lenient to severe, um, this metric that we use, that they'll have four severe examiners and their colleague will have four lenient examiners and that their colleague will do much better because they're getting easier, easier scores, um, which actually could possibly be the case if you get four more severe examiners. But post-examination, like I said, I do complete post-examination analysis as we look at these metrics and we control for examiner severity. So essentially what we're doing is leveling the playing field. It doesn't matter what combination of severe, lenient, um, any kind of examiners you get because all of that is controlled for in the um, statistical methods that we use post-examination. So if the examination is kind of, examiner severity is wiped out essentially so that the uh, Difficulty of examination is the same for all candidates. Perfect. So uh, there's everything is taken into account to, like you just said, adjust the playing field and make it a fair process for all candidates. So that happens before the exam, during the exam, and after the exam. Right. Um, last question, Michaela. So after the exam is finished, that's when more of your work kicks in to start getting the exam results together. So what is the scoring process like post-exam and when can candidates expect their results? 
So I know candidates would love to have their results immediately or very soon after the examination, but there are multiple steps that we do need to go through. Um, and I'll explain a little bit why we do each of them. So first, when the data comes in, it's kind of messy and we need to clean it up. If you've ever done any kind of research or any sort of data entry, you always have to do some sort of data cleanup. Most importantly is we need to make sure that every candidate has all 80 data points. So there's nothing missing from examination day. All of the entries that came in through our system that we use came back to me. And so there aren't any missing data points. Um, and we also need to make sure that there are no irregularities so that nothing funny in any way happened during the examination. Um, so that's step one. Once the data is all cleaned up, then I can start with the scoring process. How this works is that I have a bunch of raw scores. So all of your raw scores that are provided by the examiners on examination day, and these need to be transformed into scaled scores. Um, if you've taken any of our examinations, you know that we don't provide raw scores or correct percent correct or anything like that, because as we mentioned earlier, we do need to level the playing field. So we need to correct these scores and control for examiner severity. We also need to correct for vignette difficulty because there are multiple variations of the examination and people see different vignettes. We need to make sure that every candidate has the same difficulty level of examination. So again, we control for vignette difficulty. We also complain control for domain difficulty. So there's multiple different steps we take to make sure that the examination is the same for all candidates. Um, the other thing that we do is that uh, this is a mathematical process. And so it has to be replicated multiple times to make sure that there is no errors. I mean, I'm a human. Um, computers can also make mistakes. So we just have to do it many times to make sure that there were no errors. Um, we complete security checks. We make sure, again, after the fact that there are no other irregularities that we see as we're into the process a little bit more with the data, and that also that we don't see any evidence of cheating. So that we do also um, perform a few analyses that can detect cheating. And then finally, uh, we send the examination results to the part two committee. So as much as I can say, you know what, 0% candidates passed this year, here are my results, good luck with them. The part two committee does review those and they would say, you know, it doesn't make sense that no one passed the exam this year, something must be wrong. Uh, so there are multiple sets of eyes that look at the results as well. And then the very last step is that you see your score reports. And that also takes some time. Um, we do provide a little bit of feedback so that you know your strengths and weaknesses. Um, and that takes some time to produce those results as well. So is there anything else you wanna say about scoring or anything that we missed? I think one final thing I will say is that we talked a lot about you know, scoring kind of the process on examination day and after examination day for the post-examination analysis. But I think another part of scoring that can sometimes be missed is the examiners and the examiner training. So we are very careful ahead of examination day to choose the right examiners who are there for the right reasons, um, that they know the vignettes like the back of their hand. They do a lot of practice with um, role-playing the vignettes and learning more about them. The scoring process so that all candidates are experiencing the same level of, of scoring from their um, examiners. And then also logistics. So I think you heard in past podcasts that it shouldn't be the candidate's responsibility to be tracking the time in their exam and making sure they're moving along in the vignettes. That is the examiner's responsibility. So there's a, a lot, many, many hours of training that goes, goes in before candidates even arrive on examination day. So I think that can sometimes be missed, but that's a big part of the scoring process overall.
So true. I am also involved with, with in examiner training with you, and there is a lot that examiners have to do um, to make sure that they are going to do a great job on exam day. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Is there anything else you want to say to part two candidates to wrap up? My last piece of advice, and I think a lot of people have said this in other podcasts, is please practice. Um, role playing is so important going into this examination because a piece of it is kind of your approach to the examination. And I guess what piece of you know practical advice is when candidates are successful or unsuccessful after the examination, they often call me uh, sometimes for advice. And what I've heard is that if they were unsuccessful the first time they took it and came back and passed it the second time they took it, the thing that changed the most was that they practiced in between. Uh, the first time it was more knowledge-based, the second time was more, you know, going through the motions and, and approaching it in a, in a different way. So um, please practice and role play. It'll help you be more successful on the exam. Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on today. This is a very complex process. And um, as someone as smart as you are, I'm sure it could have been much more um detail, but you did a great job of breaking it down into simple terms that everyone can understand and just giving us a really good overview about how everything works. So I really appreciate you coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. And next week, we'll be moving up away a bit from the content and the process of the exam, and we'll start talking about logistics for actual exam day. So next week, we'll be focusing on preparing your room for the remote exam. So we'll have important information about what's allowed in your room, how to set up your room for the exam day, um, minimizing distractions and other details related to getting ready for that part of the day. So be here next week for that. And don't forget to visit the part two podcast page on our new center for all of the podcast episodes and resources to help you prepare for the exam. Michaela, thank you so much for being on today and taking time to share this helpful information. Of course, thanks for having me.